So good morning. Wow, what a week. Never before anything quite like this. Did I just drop this? You didn't even notice. Um, has there ever been a week with no school for five days? How many days was Grand Valley University closed? There's four. Man, just astounding. But uh, some of the old timers here are thinking we're all a bunch of wimps nowadays, too. Because <laughs> back in the log cabin days, there were no days off ever for anything, any reason ever. Right? Yeah. Doesn't bode well for the future, does it? <sighs> but it's good to have days off, but five. So what was the deal with Friday? Why do you think there was no school on Friday? I know it was still sort of cold, windy in the morning. What's the real reason? What do you think? Because what? Because they didn't want to deal with Friday because they already had the whole... Yeah, they didn't want to deal with Friday because they'd already had... Can you imagine the nightmare of trying to operate school on Friday after four days off? Crazy. And this morning, uh, it it was kind of messy getting around this morning, wasn't it? Anybody? Am I the only person who actually walks a dog anymore? My neighbors all just, their dogs are on leash or, you know on a chain or something out the front door or the back door, but I walk, and it was horrible this morning. But the good news is I did not go down. Yeah, not at all. So, Hey, do you know what happened to me on Friday? The weirdest thing um, really threw me off. I had uh, a, a, my yearly physical, which my doctor is quasi-retired, which means it's not every 12 months, it's like every 16 months now, because that's his schedule to fit us in. And I headed off in the morning, and I drove. I needed some gas, and I drove by uh, the Meyer station there, not too far from my home, and it said $2.04. I was like, okay. Later in the day, I'll stop by. And on the way back, I went, and guess what? It was 2.14. Like in two hours, I had lost almost $2 of, of my life. And I don't know about the rest of you, but that just eats at me. My <laughs> wife thinks I'm profoundly stupid on this, but it just eats at me. But do you want to know, do you want to know how much worse it got than that? Later in the day, and I've never seen this in my life, I think it's the universe has something out for me right now. I drove by the very same Meyer station later that day, 204. Has anybody, okay, I know there's never been five days off from school for a whole week, but has anybody ever had that happen to you? Or am I finally suffering pain that nobody else has suffered on earth? Anybody else? Uh, oh, Dennis, you've, you've been, it's you and me. I knew there was something about you, yeah. Hey, this morning, uh, we are continuing our journey in the book of Acts. I don't know if you're enjoying this. I, I, I want to just invite you to think about doing something sometime. And that's finding what I would call is an easier translation of the Bible, like an old living Bible or the new living translation. Or I did this a couple months ago with a version called Phillips. J.B. Phillips, uh, a British guy in the 1950s, kind of paraphrased, translated the New Testament. And he did, and, and I read his version, the New Testament modern English it was called, but we just call it Phillips. Um, I read Acts in one day. It really doesn't take that long. Actually, that's not impressive. It doesn't take a day to do it. Um, But you get a a taste for what's going on, and you get the big picture. 
And in Acts, there's like three different movements in the book of Acts. In the early chapters, it is the first followers of Jesus taking the message of Jesus and sharing it with those people who are really close to them and like them and very similar to them. It was Jewish followers of Jesus in Jerusalem and close environs sharing Jesus with people just like them. The second part of Acts, and we've been there recently, is when that starts moving out just a little bit, but not too far. Just moving a little bit north and and, and a little bit outside of Jerusalem into territory that was close to to the mother city, close to the, the holy place, but things were getting a little different and sometimes the Jewish people that these Jewish people wanted to share with were no longer pure Jews. They were kind of Messed up, half-breeds, if you will, mutts, religious mutts, Samaritans. But it, it got out there. And then, over the last couple of weeks, we've heard the story of the conversion of a man named Saul, whom we primarily know as Paul. And by, them, by themselves, remember, those names don't, that doesn't mean anything. Saul was the Jewish name. Paul was more the, the public Greek Roman kind of name. But, but Paul, because he eventually did a different kind of work, that became the name he used. And that's part of that third movement because suddenly it's like the, 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 the envelope is just breaking open. There had been almost a seal that, that, that the Christian message was, was meant for a very small territory. And sometimes I think that's how the Jewish faith has been for thousands of years now, that the Jewish faith is really the faith of Jewish people. And, and I, I know that sounds obvious, but, but way back when, God said, I'm choosing you, Abram, and your family because I want to bless you, but I also want to bless the world. But somehow along the way, that, that message and that God and that faith became increasingly small. It became like a lot of other religions and a lot of other philosophies. It became just something for a few people. And the first followers of Jesus almost lived into that until things started breaking open and Saul became a follower of Jesus. The very faith he was trying to destroy because he was worried about the purity and the, the, the strength of the Jewish community. But suddenly he became instead of a persecutor, a proponent and a proclaimer and someone who was taking it and sharing it. Big change. And then there was the conversion of a guy by the name of Cornelius. We just explored this last week, who was a Gentile, attracted to the Jewish faith. He knew some things about it. He was a centurion, a military man, highly respected in his community, highly respected in the Jewish community, but he wasn't on the inside. At the best, in the Jewish world, he would always be on the margins. He would always be on the edge of things. He would never be a complete, full member. But then God said to Peter, I want you to go talk to Cornelius. And he did, and Cornelius became a follower of Jesus. And in the faith of Jesus and in the community of Jesus, when you really become a follower of Jesus, there really is really only one kind of member, and that's a complete member, a member of the body of Christ. When Jesus Christ forgives you your sins, and when through Christ and your trust in him, you become a child of God, you don't become some kind of second-class child of God. You don't become some kind of sort of part of the family, but you're 100% part of the family. I want to remind you of the logistics in the Christian church. We are all in by virtue of adoption. 
There's something organic in this. God created every single one of us. But there's something that's not so organic in this that naturally, even though we're created by God and created for him, nonetheless, there is a reality that separates us from him and keeps us distant. And here's the reality. That, that's an objective fact that human beings are separated from God. They're distant from God. And some people don't even realize the, the, the power of that separation. But others of us, and I bet there's people in this room right now who, who are, you're here on purpose. Some of you were dragged here. Most of you are here because you chose to come. You sort of believe this, or maybe you really believe this, but you still sense that distance and that separation somehow. And Jesus' purpose in our world, in our lives, among other things, is to bridge that distance and to bring us close to a God who is our Heavenly Father, who knows us and didn't just create us, but rescued us and brought us in and desires to make us his own. And the radical thing about the Christian faith was that people who were not Jewish were now being brought in, way inside. The second story, conversion in Acts chapter 10 and 11, is the conversion of Peter. Because Peter was a Jewish follower. And he was pretty Jewish. And he was comfortable with Jewish people becoming followers of Jesus. But outsiders, he wasn't sure about that. And so God gave him a vision. God gave him a dream. God gave it to him three times. God gave him a powerful experience with Cornelius so that it's not just that Cornelius changed, Peter changed. And now in Acts chapter 11, we're going to continue the story and we're no longer going to primarily think about one person or two people, although we will do a little of that, but we're going to especially focus on a church. So um, I'm going to ask the, the words to be up on the screen, and if you have your Bible or, or your phone, you want to look this up with me, because we'll, we'll be referencing it. It's Acts chapter 11, verses 19 to, uh, to the end of the chapter, 19 to 30, and then we're going to read the first couple of verses of chapter 13, all right? So Acts chapter 11, let's, let's stand together for the reading of God's word. Now, those who had been scattered by the persecution that broke out when Stephen was killed traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, spreading the word only among Jews. Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. And the Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. News of this reached the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. And when he arrived and saw what the grace of God had done, he was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. And then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, and when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. And so for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. And the disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. And during this time, some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. One of them, named Agabus, stood up and through the Spirit predicted that a severe famine would spread over the entire Roman world. This happened during the reign of Claudius. And the disciples, as each one was able, decided to provide help for the brothers and sisters living in Judea. And this they did, sending their gift to the elders by Barnabas and Saul. 
Chapter 12 is like uh, uh, slipping back to Jerusalem for a moment. We're going to look at that next week. But I want you to read the first words of, uh, of chapter 13. Now, in the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menane, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. And while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I've called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. You may be seated. I want to take you back for a few moments. If you've been around for the last couple of years, you might have picked this up from a process that, that we've been uh, somewhat involved in over the last four years or so called church vitality, trying to pay attention to the health and the vitality of our own lives, our own life in Christ, and of our church. And there was a really uh, simple definition that the leaders of, of that ministry uh, gave talking about what it means to be a healthy, missional Christian or a healthy missional church. Some of you may remember this. Healthy means pursuing Christ. And missional means pursuing Christ's priorities in the world. That's a pretty good definition, both for an individual and for the church, of what Jesus Christ calls us to. He calls us to himself. When Jesus, in Mark chapter 3, chose 12 disciples to be his apostles, the ones he was getting ready to send out with a message, it says that the very first thing he chose them for, that he called them to do, was not to go out and work, but the first thing was to be with him. Again again and again, with, with Peter and Andrew and James and John and Matthew and others, he would say, follow me. When he was talking to a group of people who knew him and were aware of his message, who were struggling with life in lots of ways, he said, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. And what Jesus was saying in so many ways, come to me, follow me, be with me, is he is inviting us to a life in which we pursue him. Do you know what it needs to pursue It means to set your mind on something. It means to set your mind on a goal. It means to to have a series of goals and say, I'm going to do what it takes to reach these. You know what it's like at a younger point in life when you um, catch sight of someone or you meet someone and you find yourself attracted or interested in someone who might not be initially attracted to or interested in you? Anybody had that experience? And do you know what you do? You, you set about a pursuit. You do what you can. You do what's necessary to try to get someone's attention, to try to get someone's interest. People do lots of things. I told my kids about a time when I was in college and I was really interested in this one particular girl. And she was going off for spring break. I was not. And I said, I'll take you, I'll take you to O'Hare. I'll take you to the airport. And so I drove her there. It was back in the day when you could park and walk in and accompany someone the whole way. So we got to the parking garage, and we are just about to get out. And I said, hey, before we go in, can you just stand here for a moment? And I went to the trunk of my car, and I opened it up, and I pulled out. I pulled out my guitar. 
I'd seen this in a movie about a year before. I thought it was a good idea. What's even worse is I had my Willie Nelson songbook, and I'd been practicing this song, and I sang it right there. There were people walking by, looking over. They got religious real fast. They were like, dear Lord, help this boy. Help this boy. So, but do you get the, the, obviously, that wasn't God's plan in my life, that particular, (laughs) I don't think that was the turning point. At least it wasn't the turning point in a good way that day. But, um, But we're invited to pursue, and Jesus wants us first to pursue him. But he doesn't only invite us to a personal or even a corporate connection with him. God's desire includes, I believe, that we are where we are right now. And that one of the things we do when we gather together is that we stand up on our feet and we sing songs. And the songs aren't just because we're all about music. Because some of us are and some of us aren't. But the nature of the songs is that we're giving glory and praise to God. We're telling a story that we believe is actually the story that matters more than any other story anywhere heard or told. And we're trying in our, in our own ways by the power of God's spirit and the encouragement of each other to give glory and praise to God. We're pursuing Jesus. And these moments right now, and I hope beyond this as well, whenever we open a Bible and we look at it and we read it, our purpose is to know God better. This is God's word to us. Whatever else this tells us about, it's always telling us things about God or about Jesus that will help us pursue him and grow with him. But it doesn't just end here because God has a mission in the world. It's not so much that we do, but God has a mission in the world. It's not so much that the church has a mission or that Christians have a mission, but God has a mission. And some would put it like this, God has a mission And that mission has a church. It's not that the church has a mission, but the mission has a church. We exist to partner with God and be involved with God in what he's doing on this earth and among human beings right now. And in profound ways, we see this reality. I I titled this Missional Church, but for the moment this morning, I want you to think about healthy missional. We see what a healthy missional church is when we look at the story of the Christians in the town or the city of Antioch. It all started in Jerusalem, but 300 miles away, up the coast, inland from the Mediterranean, maybe, I forget, 15, 20 miles inland. There was a river there. There was a profound city. The big cities of the Roman Empire were Rome, obviously, and Alexandria, but the third largest city in the Roman Empire was the city of Antioch. It's not that big today. It's in southeastern Turkey today. It was a much more significant town. It it, it had amazing architecture. The main uh, boulevard through town was impressive, Herod's work in that place. It, It had a very diverse and cosmopolitan population. 500,000 people lived in Antioch at this time. Okay? It's not a, a small town. A large city. 500,000 in a time when there was not any of the kind of transportation we have today. It was diverse. There were different cultures. Lots of business was taking place there. Religious? Yes. There were so many different religions and so many different gods. But in that community, there was a Jewish community of tens of thousands of people. Maybe 25,000. 
And they were the ones who seemed so strange because they didn't believe in all these gods. They believed there was one God. But their impact in that community was unintentional. Some people were attracted to that and interested in that. Antioch was a moral mess, if you want to know the truth. A lot of it circled around. It's not because sex is inherently sinful, but it is that sex is so powerful, it becomes the occasion and and the setting in which so much uh, that's distorted and wrong and that actually breaks down human lives and breaks down families and, and breaks down individuals and cultures and societies takes place. And that was very true in Antioch. It had just about everything a city could have. And um, Acts chapter 11, verse 19, let's, let's just look at the text now. Those who'd been scattered by the persecution that broke out when Stephen was killed, remember way back, the beginning, end of, ch- of chapter 7, beginning of chapter 8, they spread out, and among the places they went to, they traveled as far as Phoenicia along the coast, the Mediterranean coast, and Cyprus, Cyprus was an island, is an island, out in the Mediterranean, about 100 miles out in, in the sea. And then Antioch. And as they were going, they were spreading the word among Jews only. Sounds prejudicial, but I want you to uh, cut these people a little bit of a break. I want you to think about um, the likelihood of who a group of Christians is going to share their faith with. You know who I'm most skilled at sharing? um, I, I have the greatest potential for sharing my faith effectively with are people just like me. Let's just start with the English language. Am I more likely to be really effective in sharing with people who are Korean-only speakers or or, um, Spanish-only speakers or English-only speakers? goes without saying, okay? It's not wrong to recognize cultural commonalities and recognize the things. At some level, it made all the sense in the world for those Jewish followers of Jesus to go and seek out in their own community places where they would get it. They would understand what was going on. People ate the same food and told the same stories and celebrated the same holidays, dressed the same way, had the same set of values. We all seek out things like that. And it was in that community that those people were spread out by persecution and inevitably made friends, made connections that were more than just public ones on the street or or doing business because sometimes you you end up working with or working alongside or getting connected with lots of people, including people you don't share very much in common with at all. But these Jewish followers of Jesus made real strong connections with other Jews. And it was only natural that they would share the the word, the message of Jesus and the message about Jesus with those Jews. But something different started happening in verse 20. But some of them, however, and they weren't really actually people from Antioch either, but they were men from Cyprus, that island out 100 miles into the, into the Mediterranean Sea. They were there now in Antioch as well. Some men from Cyprus and from Cyrene. Cyrene was a community in North Africa. Today, it would be part of Libya. Another significant city, significant place. And, and they were in this land as well. So men from Cyprus and Cyrene who went to Antioch began to speak to Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. And do you know what happened? The Lord's hand was with them. And a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. News of this, I'm going, to, I'm going to keep reading one more time the next two, two verses, or three verses. News of this reached the church in Jerusalem, 
And they sent Barnabas to Antioch, and when he arrived, he saw what the grace of God had done. He was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. I just want you to see here the desire and the commitment first to, in this new Christian community, to pursuing Jesus. I don't know if you noticed, but when we were reading that before, Luke tells us that it was in Antioch. Antioch was the first place that the followers of Jesus were called Christians. Up until that point in time, they'd just been a sect in Judaism. They were disciples, they were children of God, they were saints. Believe it or not, that that has lots of other baggage in our minds, but that was one of the labels they used. Um, They were followers of the way. But for the first time in this community, they started to be called Christians. It was actually not Christians themselves who labeled themselves Christians, but outsiders looking over. They're the people who talk about Christ all the time. Christ. They weren't even sure exactly what it meant because these were not Jewish people calling them Christians. It was Greek people, Gentile people, Roman people who were labeling these followers of Jesus Christians. It was supposed to be kind of a pejorative and negative word, but before long it became embraced. It became something that identified them. And and I don't want to try to parse that too much except to say this, that for this church and for these people, Jesus Christ was so central that his name, or one of his titles, became the name for them. Yes, and and to this day, even though the word Christian's got a lot of baggage, if you ask me, am I a Christian, I will say yes. And when I say I'm a Christian, it doesn't mean I approve of everything Christians have ever done under the label Christian. It doesn't mean that that I think uh, we get it all right or have gotten it all right in the past. All I mean by Christian is that my life is defined by Jesus Christ, and I believe the God who created everything is communicating with human beings through him in a way that he communicates nowhere else. And the center of my life, the most important community I'm a part of, personally, is this community. I'm an American I have lots of distinctives about me, where I grew up, how I was educated, what my ethnic background is. All those things are important. I could describe all of them. But if you want to know the community that matters more than any other to me, it is this one, First Evangelical Covenant Church. Because we're a Christian church, and Jesus is central to us. Even though the name Jesus isn't used a lot here, uh, look at some of the words. Uh, Verses 20 to 24, I want you, I'm going to read these words again. I want you just to look for or listen for a particular word that's used several times. Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks, also telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. And the Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. News of this reached the church in Jerusalem. They sent Barnabas to check it out. And when he arrived and saw what the grace of God had done, he was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. He was a good man and full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. Did you hear it? Lord. The Lord. For a lot of people, that was just a way of saying, Mr., Sir. For other people in that time frame, it was a way of referring to Caesar. For Jewish people, the Lord became the Greek word that translated a Hebrew word that was a name for God. 
But for Christians, that word Lord bore a lot of weight and a lot of significance. Not just sir, not just mister. But yeah, a lot of things to do with authority and power and leadership and centrality and Jesus. Jesus was the Lord. And so when they talked about life, when they thought about life, they were frequently going back. And and one of the ways they referred to Jesus was just to talk about him as the Lord. So, pursuing Christ. In this young, new community, there was something true and something real. They were not primarily a Jewish community. And so guess what? Their background, they did not know the Bible. They did not know the Hebrew Scriptures. They didn't know about all the promises and prophecies that had been fulfilled in Jesus in his time on earth. And so when someone came to check out what was going on from Jerusalem, they wanted to make sure this was a good thing. Because that was the church central. They sent up Barnabas, a pastor. What a guy. His actual name was Joseph. He was from Cyprus himself. And he'd come to know Jesus. He was a Jew. Uh, He was one of the first people who came alongside Saul and said, I'm with you. I believe God's at work in your life. I'm your friend. Early on, when things were tough in the the Jerusalem Christian community and people were struggling with poverty and, and, and financial issues, Barnabas, who had some means, sold some of his some of his holdings, some of his property, and he brought that money and he gave it to the church so they could meet the needs of people in their community. And quickly, Joseph became known by a nickname that was given him in in that Jewish Christian community in Jerusalem. He was called Barnabas. Barnabas is simply a, a name that means son of encouragement. Any of you know any Barnabases in the world? Some of you are them. You are an encourager, or you've benefited from someone who knows what it's like to come alongside and to say, I'm on your side. I believe you, and I want to be your friend, and I want you around, and I will walk with you. What a great thing to have a Barnabas or to be a Barnabas. And that's who the Jews in Jerusalem, the Jewish Christians in Jerusalem, chose to send up to, to Antioch to check out what was going on, and man, did they make a good choice. He wasn't there to find what they were doing wrong. I mean, if they were doing something wrong, he, he would let them know. But that wasn't, that wasn't what motivated him. His motivation was to see God at work. And when he saw God at work and when he saw the signs of God's grace at work, he said, wow. He celebrated. He was so full of joy because of that. But he noted that these people don't know much. And so he went up to Tarsus and he found that man in his hometown. He found Saul. He said, Saul, we need you. Saul came down, because guess what? Although Saul was still, (laughs) this is some years later, Saul knew Jesus pretty well now. But Saul had all that education as a Pharisee, all that education in Jerusalem. He knew the Bible forwards and backwards. He understood exactly how the big picture story went together with Jesus and, and the kind of change Jesus could bring about in people's lives. And so he came and he taught with Barnabas to help that church. For a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. And again, Barnabas told them, encouraged them to all remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. Pursuing Jesus. But how about Jesus' priorities in the world? I want to just name them, and I want you to think about your heart for these 
and our church's heart for this. Uh, for a lot of people in, in the last century plus, um, maybe the last two centuries, for a lot of people to be a missional church or to be a mission-committed church meant that you supported missionaries somewhere else in the world. And actually, over the last couple of decades, a lot of people have pushed back against that and said, to be a missional church is all about what you do locally. And I want to suggest, based on the story of a church from almost 2,000 years ago, that we are missing uh, this truth that God is a both-and God when it comes to an understanding of what mission is about. About local and about global about local with people like us, about local with people who aren't so like us, and about global with all kinds of people. It's not an American thing. It's not Christians in America taking care of the rest of the world. Once upon a time, there were ways in which that was somewhat true. But the phrase that is being used more and more is from everywhere to everywhere. Wherever Christians are gathered, wherever there's a Christian community, wherever there's individuals who come together and our church and our Christian community in a local place to care about their own lives and pursue Jesus, but to care about their own community, people like them, to care about their own community, people who aren't so like them, and to care about the world as a whole. And we see it all in Antioch. So look one more time at verse 19 and 20. And then the beginning of um, chapter 13. Actually, verse 19 talks about the spreading, going into Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, spreading the word only among Jews. Get rid of the word only, and you see something very appropriate. It is very appropriate for Jewish followers of Jesus to spread the word about Jesus among Jewish people. It's very appropriate for you our church is a primarily, a very primarily Anglo church. And for you to care about people who are your neighbors and you go to school with and your friends and your relatives and your family, people who are culturally and ethnically and whatever other way so much like you, that is exactly what God cares about. He wants you to care about that. And you and I are uniquely situated and prepared to make a difference in the lives of people like us because we get them. We understand so much and we're supposed to care. The word only is the dangerous word. God actually hates that word. That only word there is the bad word. But take it out and there's something beautiful about it. But think about what verse 20 tells us. Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and saying, went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also. And Christians have been learning for thousands of years something that was God's will from the beginning. And that is that we learn to engage with people who are different than us. Some of you have been involved in Pastor Dale's Crossing Cultures class, right? How many of you have been involved in any way in that? Raise them high. Yeah. Okay, a whole bunch of you. All right. And I think you've been enjoying it, and you've been learning a lot, and uh, meeting people, and experiencing different things, and that's all awesome. But I want you to remember that God's primary will for us is not just to become anthropologists and sociologists and experts in other cultures, just because it's kind of cool and diversity is a popular thing today. And I'm not, saying, I'm not being dismissive of your interest in that class, but... 
But, but what I want you to see is that that heart for people who are culturally different also, that they would know Jesus. Because followers of Jesus don't believe that Jesus is just for a small group of people. If we believe Jesus was just for his own ethnic group, virtually none of us would be here today. Jesus is for all kinds of people. And we live in a day and age in a world where we work alongside and we play alongside and we study alongside and we live alongside and we travel alongside people from all over the world and from people from right here. Uh, One of my friends is a Chinese-American and uh, he's been asked so many times through the years, like when, uh, so when did, when did you come here? Or when did your parents come here? And, and he's like, well, my, my great, 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 great grandparents came here in 1850. You know, like my family's been here quite a bit longer than yours. And that would definitely be my, my family. Nobody in my family was here at, at that time frame, you know. But God wants us reaching out but he also wants us caring about a world and sending people out. And this is where that kind of mission sending began. Acts 13. That there was a church at Antioch that included a group of leaders, diverse leaders as it turns out. Barnabas, Simeon called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menane, and Saul. From Lucius from Cyrene, that place in North Africa. Simeon called Niger, likely a black man, a black African. Uh, Jewish people and not Jewish people who gathered together and prayed together and fasted together. And as they were worshiping God, God laid it on their heart to send some people out. And quickly they determined it was Saul or Paul and Barnabas they were going to send out. But to send them out to do what they couldn't do locally. They could try to live following Jesus, pursuing Jesus, and pursuing Jesus' priorities in their own community. They didn't need to send somebody out to Antioch. They were the ones sent out to Antioch. But to send someone out where nobody else had gone before. And so that's what they did. Brothers and sisters, this morning, as we come to the table and we gather around and celebrate what Jesus gave us, I want you to think about your own life and your own church. Your own life and your own church. Do you know what it means to know the Lord? Do you know what it means to be called a Christian because it means something to you? Christians are not the people in the world or people in the community who are just not Jews and Muslims, okay? A Christian is someone who knows Jesus Christ and follows him and trusts him. And that is the definition of our church as well. But it's not just a moment, it's not just becoming a Christian, it's living in pursuit of Jesus. Are you doing that? Are we doing that? And then, are we missional people? Do we care about people like us Enough to pray for them and care about them and talk with them. Do we care about people who aren't like us, who are nearby us, in God's providence suddenly we live in a more diverse world and a more colorful place than we did once upon a time? And we say, Lord, thank you for bringing so much of the world to me. Am I stepping across the culture to be like those men from Cyprus and where else? Cyrene? Was that it? Okay. They're Cyrene. Yeah. And to be like those guys and spreading. And do I care that we as a church send people out, that we contribute, that we support financially and with prayer things that go on elsewhere in the world that we could never get close to doing ourselves? That's a healthy missional Christian 
in a healthy missional church. Sometimes I think the greatest name, you know what? I'm putting it up for a vote this morning, but I won't. I don't think it'd be legal. But if we could be Antioch Evangelical Covenant Church, I'm just saying informally, if that was our definition, wow, the power. Because that church changed the world too. Things changed because of Antioch. And my prayer is that things will continue to change because of us. Let's pray. Lord Jesus Christ, thank you for what you did thousands of years ago. When you took those first followers and you kept walking with them, Lord, and guiding them and sending them out and accompanying them, helping them go to places they'd never been before, do things they'd never done before, talk to people they'd never envisioned talking to before. And in the process, your hand was with them and people said yes and your church began to grow here, there, and everywhere. And may that work continue in our world today. We pray this in Jesus' name.